Hello and welcome to the Pursuit Podcast. Today we're talking to ultra runner and tech guru John Kelly. John's accolades are legendary. He's twice finisher of the Barclay Marathon, one of only two people in the world to do so. He's also competed and won several other races, including the 268 mile spine race across the UK. In this episode, John, the father of four, has some great insights about balancing work, family and training why he did 130 reps of his local hill to save time, how the US compares to the UK when it comes to running, and how a half marathon is the maximum reasonable length of distance for a run. Enjoy the episode. John Kelly, fresh from a 10-mile training run, and having just wolfed down his lunch, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You grew up in the US, but then for a few years you moved to the UK. Why was that, apart from just been drawn by the good weather that we have? Uh, so started a company that was most of our business was in the UK. I moved to, I, I was just outside of Bristol in the southwest and moved to the UK to with, for the express purpose of, of building our team in person. Uh, Ironically, ended up working remote for most of that time, thanks to COVID. But I uh, had get, had the opportunity to have some great adventures uh, during that time. Really explore uh, the country, uh, go out and uh, experience a new place with my family. So it was a great uh, bit over three years that we were over there. And you say you started a, a new business. What field was that in? Uh, I I do data science, uh, so taking enormous data sets and, and trying to find uh, patterns and signals in those. Uh, and so we started a company that assesses the risk of cyber attack and crisis insurance to, to cover losses from those attacks. And so I'm, I'm on the technical side of, of things, developing that model and, and the software for that. So because you're analyzing a lot of data, do you find then running is quite a nice release from that? You know, the, the real contrast between the two? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's it's a great time of day to uh, just kind of de- detach and, and not have to think about things. But then also, it's uh, really good to have that sort of unstructured time that I've, I've solved a lot of problems uh, while I've been out on runs. And a lot of the sorts of things I do, the, the distance and the complexity that they are, uh, a lot of those same analytical uh skills come into play there so when you're in in the uk you've now relocated back to the us but you did the uh the spine race which runs across the pennine rally and uh, i was looking at the photos and it just <laughs> it looked epic did it actually just rain the whole 268 miles uh it, it was fairly wet it definitely wasn't a uh you know I, I was hoping that it would be snowy and you know a real winter experience it, it was that was my first winter in the UK, so I've since learned that unless you're up in the Scottish Highlands, that that kind of is UK winter. And so, yeah, it was it was quite wet, uh, quite boggy. Uh, it was a good introduction to bogs as well. Uh, and and we did we we got slammed by a windstorm. I think Storm Bella, uh, right as I was about the halfway point. And I mean, it was just it it was brutal. I mean, in my my rain jacket getting pelted on all sides from rain and just wind sounding like, you know, a 
a train going through a tunnel. It was, yeah, it was an experience for sure. And you finished in the mid eighties hours. So you're, you're literally out for over three days. What is the driver behind that? What makes you think, Hey, you know, let's, let's leave my nice job, nice job and family. And then let's go trek across the middle of England in the middle of winter. Uh, it was, it was something different. It, it was a new challenge. Uh, it was unlike anything I had taken on before. And I, I enjoy doing new things, seeing how they go, seeing what I can learn, uh, seeing what I can experience from them. So that was the main draw, but it, it is sort of right up my alley as far as the types of things I do, these long, multi-day, difficult conditions types of races. So I, I thought that I could excel at it. You spoke eloquently that uh, you need to find the difference between discomfort and danger, and especially when you're out on the hills you know, for three days. With all the pressure that you put on yourself and you'll have the support crew there and you've done all this training, how do you discern the difference between the two when you're out racing? Uh, a lot of that comes from experience of just having kind of gone through some of those uh, similar feelings and, and similar pains and, and similar kind of ways that, that your body has responded before and being able to recognize when something is, is abnormal and, and not just an unusual sort of way. I mean, I, I've only uh, DNF'd two sort of normal races before. And, and one of those, uh, a few years ago, I was, I was only about a quarter of the way into it, just inexplicably uh, had some symptoms I'd never experienced before that were quite concerning and, and I dropped out and it, it turned out to be rhabdo, which I, I still, which that's essentially where your kidneys are unable to keep up with processing uh, broken down muscle tissue. So it can lead to kidney failure if you keep pushing through that. And uh, so I'm, I'm certainly glad that I stopped. I still don't know how I ended up in, in that sort of situation. But yeah, those are the things you have to be aware of because you can do these things and there's so many variables involved that even if you've done it before, it's no guarantee that you're not going to run into some extreme difficulty the next time. Do you find your job being a data scientist of removing the emotion, stripping back and looking at the, the raw data, that helps you in sort of taking on these big decisions of DNFing or risk? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's for, for anyone that's... Star Trek fan, I've, I've tried to use the, the Spock reference of, of you know, the, the looking at things with pure logic and, and just thinking through it in, in my head without attaching uh, any emotion to that decision. I mean, sometimes that emotion can be quite powerful and keeping us motivated and keeping us pushing on. But when it comes to something like that, that safety is involved uh, and, and really our long-term ability to come back and do these things uh, again, that, that is something where I, I need to be able to detach from that uh, sort of emotional factor and, and think through things as, as clearly as I can. On the Race Across the Pennines, your 60 hours in, say, you've still got like 25 hours left. You get impacted by the wind and it's been raining pretty much for the last two days. What on earth is going through your head at times like that? It's, it's really just about breaking it down and into chunks that you can manage. I'm trying to think about where I would have been uh, at that point. I think that would that would put me pretty close, uh, maybe to, to Hadrian's Wall uh, around that stretch. And, and that was a very difficult section for me. I, I was really 
feeling the sweep deprivation. That's also one of the points in the race where I, I, I knew that a couple of my competitors had, had dropped back and I felt that I, I kind of had it in the bag. So I, I didn't have that sense of mental urgency to, to keep me going. Uh, I took a nap or two uh, against Hadrian's wall and, and was kind of stumbling along a bit through that section. But I'm, I'm really just trying to think, you know, make it to the next, make it up that hill, make it to the next checkpoint, make it just th- these these little manageable chunks. And, and once you do that, then set my sights on, on another one and, and keep going. Um, the other side of that, you know, that the difficulty is in the gray area where you're thinking, oh, I still have a day left. That's, uh, I'm, I'm, this is so rough. I don't know if I can make it, but, but also you can, uh, you can either zoom way in at those manageable chunks or you can zoom way out and think, well, I've, I've got a day left. I've been preparing for this and training for this and working towards this for, for months, years. You know, how much has gone into this? I only have a day left. That's nothing. <laughs> Hadrian's wall propping up exhausted men for a nap for about 2,000 years. Did you yeah, have- yeah. It was the right Roman soldier there. Just, uh... Did you have any time to sort of take in the history of it, or were you just like... No, I did. I, I absolutely loved it. That's, uh, again, something that, uh, it, you know, we don't have many places in, in the U.S. where we can find uh, 2,000 year old walls or, or other such things so it was uh it was really neat to, to be able to uh see a lot of the sites along the benign way there, there was that there's also a section there along hadrian's well i can't remember the name of the castle but i took a bit of a wrong turn and went up a little hill uh and into this th- these old ruins i got there and i i said oh i must have went the wrong way but then i just kind of wandered around for a little while so i got <laughs> I'll stop and see the castle while I'm here. <laughs> Not many formats of races would allow you to do that. Yeah. When you were in the UK, you also came up with something called the Grand Round. What was that? So this was kind of when I was in the when I first moved over, and I I looked at all these things that I could do in the UK and races in Europe. And said, oh, I want to do that one and this one and, and that other thing. Trying to cram in as, as much as I, I could. And so when I was looking at, at UK uh, mountain running, uh, you know, of course, the, the focus was on fell running and uh, really uh, started looking in, into the, the classic three big rounds. The, of course, the Bob Graham round in the Lake District and, and then the Paddy Buckley round uh, in Wales and Snowdonia and then the um, Charlie Ramsey round in, in Scotland. Uh, and so kind of said to myself, like, I should just do them all at once. You know, what's, what's the point in, uh, having to take the time to, to do them all separately. And I looked and I, I just, uh, kind of, uh, I was formerly a, a triathlete and I, I did enjoy the cycling aspect of that. I very much hated the swimming, uh, but, but I enjoyed the cycling. So I said, you know, I've still got this really nice triathlon bike. I should just, I'll just do all three of these and I'll, I'll ride my bike in between. And so I, I, I went at it the first time there just about a month after I arrived in the UK, uh, and, and ended up stopping. I did the Patty Buckley and the Bob Graham. And then I stopped just as I sit out on my bike to head up to Scotland. I, I didn't feel safe 
uh, in, in the sleep deprived state that I was in, knowing that I would be going up a narrow two lane highway with, you know, lorries flying by, uh, through that whole stretch. Uh, so I, I stopped there and, and came back the following year and, and finished it. Obviously there's terrain differences, but how does the U S compare to the UK when it comes to running, you know, in terms of like the competition and the races on offer? So I guess what I really enjoy, and, and unfortunately, I, I never got to experience a kind of authentic fell race. It's, it's something that, I, I, you know, I, I lived four and a half hours or so from the lakes and, and COVID canceled a, a huge chunk of those while I was there. Uh, and, and then it's also just difficult to do them around some of these these big things I I did. So that is one of my regrets that I, I never got to, to do one of those. But in general, the, the thing that I enjoy so much is, is how much creativity uh, there is in the running there. It's just wide open space. And, and it's not, you know, in the US, we we have trails and, and you follow the trail and, and that is the race. You have a very defined route that you have to follow. And in, in the UK, it's more of, you know, get to that point and this point and that other point over there, how you do it, it's up, up to you. Go for it. Let's, let's see what happens. So I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I enjoyed the competitive yet laid back atmosphere of everything. And I also very much enjoyed the, the real community and, and team feel to it all. You know, in, in the UK, you have, you know, I, I'm sure I, I was four and a half hours from the Lake District, but pretty much almost everyone in the country is, is within four and a half hours from the Lake District, unless you're, you know, way up at John O'Groats or, or Land's End. Uh, and, and so you, you have everyone is, is sharing these same challenges, these same things that they're taking on. And, and this community and, and team aspect of it is is just incredible and, and some of the people that i met there doing these things will, will remain uh, some of my my closest uh friends uh, going forward you know in the u.s we're, we're much more distributed geographically so you know four and a half hours is close in, in the u.s uh, rather than than far away is this scene a bit more professional in the u.s just from the from the outside looking in you know there's a lot more videos, a lot more sponsorship kicking around in the US compared to the, you know, the UK that we, we don't really have any big, big races. You know, you have to kind of go across to France to UTMB to get something as big as what you have in the United States. Yeah, I think that the professionalization of it is a lot bigger in, in Europe than it is in, in the US. I mean, when you look at, at France and, and Italy, at that area in particular, and ultra running there, uh, mountain running ha has grown out of this very high level professional endurance event culture, you know, professional cycling and, and all of these other uh, mountain sports that are held in, in very high esteem there. Uh, ski, ski touring, ski mountaineering, uh, all of these things. And so ultra running very much shares that culture. Uh, whereas in the US, it really grew out of like some people getting together at, at the trailhead and going for a run and then sitting around a fire and having beer afterwards. Uh, and, and there's still a lot of those types of events uh, exist. There's in the U S that I don't know what, where this name 
came from, but they're called fat ass runs. And it's no awards, no hit stations, no whining. And it really is just kind of like a, uh, a glorified training run where some, some people show up at trailhead and, and have a little race and come back and, and hang out after. So I think that there is a very laid back culture in general in the U.S. Um, but you do, you do see like Western states and, uh, some races that are much more serious, much more competitive. Uh, and a lot of, uh, a lot of people are doing some great things in, in media coverage and, and production between people like Iron Far and, and Air Viper running. So yeah, there, I, I think there's, there's a bit of both, uh, to it. But I, I don't think that anything is, is quite to the level uh, of, of what you'll see in France and Italy. And I don't think it'll ever get to that level uh, simply because most things here uh, require permits for, for going through national forests and, and trails and whatnot. And you're, you're never going to get a permit for a race in the U.S. where it's like UTMB and, and you have 2,000 people out on the trail. Would you ever consider... Uh, quitting the day job, as it were, and running full time. Oh, I'd love to, um, but you know, I'm I'm not. I also have to be realistic. I'm uh, I'm I'm good at the the niche of of what I do, but I'm I'm no Killian. I'm no Jim Walmsley. I'm not going to be able to be successful enough to support my family uh, long term doing that. Uh, if I if I had this sort of financial freedom to to not need to worry about that, then yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that for a while and, and see what I was capable of. But right now, it's it's uh, part of the fun is uh, seeing how well I can optimize things and, and how well I can do things uh, around the, the constraints that I have in my life. So you're the CTO of your uh, tech company. How do you balance the sheer volume of training that you need to do? in order to compete at these races with having a family and having a private life outside of all of that? Because I was, I was reading recently, apart from all of the, the obvious factors, that amateur endurance sports is often one of the biggest predictors of divorce due to the sheer volume of hours that, that the person is needed to be out of the house. That's interesting. That's not a, a stat that I've seen, but it's also not one that I, I have a hard time believing. It's, and so I have handed off the CTO title as, as part of my uh, move back to the US. I now just have a sort of nebulous EVP title, but it's, it, it has been a process and it's been a learning process as I've progressed both in my running and in, in my career. You know, the, the way that I approached things when I first started out, uh, and, and we didn't yet have kids and I didn't have quite as demanding of a job that, that certainly wouldn't work now. And so I've been fortunate to learn as the demands have, have increased. I also, I mean, that was another reason for stepping back from triathlon to, uh, ultra running. Uh, you're, you know, running, you can really start to hit diminishing returns past 10 hours a week, whereas there, there are triathletes out there that are doing 30 plus, 40 plus hours a week, um, just with the, the cycling and, and the swimming at. Big thing for me has always been, uh, you know, back when I had a commute, all of my weekday uh, running or cycling miles were my commute. So I was taking time that I would otherwise uh, be, you know, sitting on a train or in a car or, or whatever. Um, and 
getting my workout in during that time. Uh, now it's it's more, you know, I, I work from home, so it's more a matter of fitting things in around my, my family schedule, uh, trying to do things when the kids are at school or uh, sleeping or, or at other activities. And then, you know, the weekend runs, they're a very similar approach, often making those family adventures, running to some destination and then meeting my family there for a day out. But then also just, you know, very open communication and, and planning with my wife on, on all of this and making her and my whole family feel like they're a part of all of this, you know, ha- having there at, at some of my races and uh, other events I have, making them feel a part of it rather than, than something separate. And the other big thing is I've just, I've, those are my, my priorities are my family work and, and running. And, and I, that's what I want to prioritize right now. I want to excel at all of those. And so I've, I've sacrificed everything else. You know, I've, I've cut out all other hobbies. Uh, you know, I don't really watch TV. I, I don't go hang out at, at the pub with my friends. It's, uh, you know, th- those are my, th- three things. And when we, we cut out all of those sort of small things each day, it, it's amazing how much time that, that we can free up by doing that. And I would say really the time I put into running is, is a lot less than uh, golf or fishing or many of the other hobbies that are out there. So what does a typical week of training look like when you're building towards one of these bigger events? How many hours are you putting in and What's the sort of weekly structure look like? Yeah, that's that's the other good, good thing to mention. Uh, following up on, on that last question, I, it, you know, p- people like Jim Walmsley, Courtney DeWalter, they're they're putting in huge weeks. They, they might have a hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty miles a week. I uh, typically max out at about seventy, around ten hours a week. Uh, really, not any more than a serious recreational marathon runner would put in. I might have one or two weeks a year, kind of a super compensation week, uh, a few weeks out from a big target event where, where I might go up to a hundred miles and uh, a bit more time. Uh, but generally, yeah, it's a, a cap. It plateaus at about 70 miles a week, about uh, 10 hours a week. All my data on Strava is going back for, geez, I don't know, probably eight years now. <laughs> if anyone wants to try to dig up some patterns there but I'll, I'll typically have one workout a week one long run per week maybe one sort of medium run but then the rest are just uh easy days with some strides thrown in generally and to those who don't know what strides are what, what would they be when you're running uh so a lot of times it, it's it's hills so it, you know like six times 20 seconds uh hill repeats uh sometimes they'll be flat but but a lot it it really gets a lot more bang for your buck uh and is that a saying in the uk bang for your quid but yeah so just anywhere from four to six repeats of anywhere from 20 to 30 seconds generally and you touched on that hills so when I first came across you, you spoke about the challenges of trying to get as much vertical meters in as possible whilst living in a pretty flat area. 
Obviously, you combated that quite nicely, given that all of your subsequent race results. What advice would you give to someone who lives in a pretty flat area but does need to accumulate as many vertical kilometers as possible? So that's, again, just doing the best with, with what you have and, and trying to optimize things around the constraints of your life. Uh, where I lived outside of Washington, D.C., and, you know, I, I mentioned the, the way that I did things when I first started and kind of the first year that I was, I was really serious in this type of stuff. I, I got into the Barkley Marathons. I found a hill that was, you know, it was, it was decent, about uh, 500 feet up in half a mile uh and and i went there like once or twice a week but it, it was an hour away and, and so that was a, a huge extra time cost in doing that and I, I realized that you know if if i only have x amount of time to fit a run in why would i want to waste two hours of that driving whereas you know i, I could run on slightly less good terrain but get a lot more in, in, in the process. So I found a hill just uh, a mile or so up the trail from, from my house. And it was um, 95 feet high in uh, 0.05 miles. So I would do 10 repeats on that. And that would get me one mile and 950 feet of, uh, of ascent and descent. Uh, so, you know, I, I would have days, I think the, the most I ever did was 130 repeats on that. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it's, I got the vert in. It, I think it also helped quite a bit with the, the mental training and, and this practice I, I mentioned earlier of, of breaking things up into manageable chunks. And I would never get up there and say, okay, I've got 130 of these to do. Here I am. I'm on number 23. You know, I would break it up into sets of 10. So I, I never had more than 10 of them to do. And, you know, I, I get to 10 and then I'd reset and I'd start back at one and go to 10 again. Uh, so, you know, you just you have to make the best you can, whether it's a, a treadmill with a steep incline, uh, stairs and a parking deck. I, I know a lot of people that live in Florida in the U.S. where there's no hills anywhere. And they'll, they'll run back and forth over bridges because the bridges have that little incline on them to, to where boats can go underneath. So it's, you've just got to be creative and do the best you can with, with what you have. I'm, I'm fortunate now that I, I do live up in the mountains. And, and so I have some, you know, it's, it's not the Rockies, it's not the Alps, but I, I have some pretty good mountains to run on. And one of my biggest struggles now is, is still altitude. I, I have not, I have yet to fare well at, at a race that's that's at altitude. So that's that's kind of my next thing to to figure out. You touched on earlier that you're only doing the mileage of a average marathon runner, but your race results far exceed those of an average marathon runner. So if you're only doing seventy miles a week, but you're doing you know multi hundred mile races a year. What is it then that you are able to do? Is it purely on the mental side that you're just able to dig that much deeper? No, it's, it's definitely a combination of things. I mean, the, the things that I, I do are, are not just things that you could will yourself to do them, um, or, or else that you know there'd be a lot more uh, people finishing Barkley if, if it was just a matter of willpower. Uh, so it does have to be a combination of those. Uh, you know, I, I think that. I definitely have some some natural physical talent in, in this particular niche, 
Uh, I, I think that m- maybe one of my, my greatest talents there. And, you know, when, when you say that word, you think about speed and endurance and uh, these other sort of directly measurable physiological elements. But I think that for what I do, one of my greatest talents is just not getting hurt. And so m- maybe I'm only doing 70 miles a week, but I've, I've been able to do that consistently for years and years. You know, I've, I've never had a, I've been extremely fortunate and never had a major injury setback. And, and really the only time that I've taken off over the past eight years has been the week after a race to, to recover from one of these big events. You said, I think it was in a, one of your blog posts that, um, the longest reasonable length to run is a half marathon. Could you, uh, could you just explain that? Yeah, I, I, I say that quite frequently. Uh, it's, I think if, if you're running, uh, for health benefits or if you're running purely for the enjoyment of running, I, I think a half marathon is, is about the cutoff for that before things start to plateau or, uh, even go downhill for both of those factors. So when we go beyond that, it's, there are other reasons involved, whether it's, uh, you know, we're out there searching for, for lessons, uh, we can learn about ourselves and, and to really put ourselves in these challenging situations, or we're out there just trying to, uh, you know, wh- one of the reasons I originally got into these things was I, I had more of a background as a long distance, uh, hiker and I just, I didn't have time to go see all the places I wanted to see. So I say, well, maybe if I run, I, I can, I can fit more in, I can see more stuff uh, in the amount of time that I have. So there, there are a lot of different reasons uh, to do these sort of uh, ridiculous, crazy sounding things that I do. Um, but just for the love of running or for the health benefits are definitely uh, not sufficient. You mentioned hiking there, and you said that the uh, John Muir Trail was what really introduced you or reintroduced you back to the sort of endurance side of it. And uh, I've recently read a few books about or by John Muir. I go through phases of people that I just get really interested in. So I read one of his uh, biography, and then I've read two more about him. Is the, is the John Muir Trail something you, that you recommend for someone to, you know, put oh. all that effort to do? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's not the easiest. Uh, to, to get a, a permit for it, they, they have to limit the, yeah, yeah. But m- most, most trailheads in national parks in the U.S., uh, if, if you're going to camp, uh, overnight, you, you have to get a, a backcountry permit. And so that's generally not an issue. It's generally just, you know, the rangers want to know where people are if there's some sort of emergency. Um, but it, it is also to limit impact. Uh, to the environment and to the trails themselves. And so some of the more popular places like the John Muir Trail, it can be more difficult to get those permits. There are usually walk-up permits. If you just go kind of camp in Yosemite Valley and, and get up early and go try to get one each day, or you can you can kind of, if, if you just care about going and experiencing the area, you can you can start at a different trail and you know, not, not have the official full John Muir Trail uh, route, but just slightly different at, at the beginning and still see m- most of the same stuff. But it's just absolutely incredible area, um, you know, as opposed to, to the things I've, I've done in, in the UK, which 
are beautiful, uh, but you never quite feel like you're out there in the wilderness. Like you're always like, oh, there's there's some sheep or there's there's someone's fence or oh, there's a farmhouse over there. Uh, the John Muir Trail is uh, about 220 miles, and, and you cross a road twice, and that's like at, at the very very beginning. Uh, so you're you're out there um, for it, and yeah, it's it's just beautiful, amazing area. You mentioned earlier the you know, some people are in this for the lessons that they'll learn from being out there all that time. What what would you say are the biggest lessons that you've taken away from? some of the races that you've done where you've just been out for literally several days? Well, the, the biggest is, is just, you know, to, to me, most of us are fortunate to have lives where we're not really faced with these sort of challenges or uh, situations that are really putting us at, at our limits. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not getting chased by bears or lions we're not in a war zone uh we're not struggling to to get food on the table and you know some some people sadly still are but um for for those of us that aren't i think there's a lot that can be learned simply by putting ourselves in those situations and what is relatively still a safe environment uh and and seeing how how we respond, what we do well, uh, what we don't do well. When we do come up with a true difficulty in life uh, that doesn't just involve running around the mountains, uh, that's that's invaluable experience. And it's uh, very much been, for me, extremely valuable just to be able to tell myself in, in some of those difficult situations, like, hey, you did Barkley, you did the spine, you did this other thing. Like, you can handle this. You can get through this. Uh, here's what you need to do and, and some of those same mental tricks or, you know, breaking it up in, into little chunks or, or zooming way out. It's, it's, it's different objectives, but the, the methods we can use to achieve them are, are oftentimes quite similar. And does that tie in? You talk a lot from your, doing your PhD, um, you talk about the Goldilocks zone. What, what's that? And then how do you apply that to your training and racing? Yeah, so that's this this concept that um, you know, if if we take on challenges that are are too difficult, then we're likely to get frustrated and and give up and, and quit. Uh, if if we take on things that are too easy, then then what's the point? We we get bored and, and we quit. What's the point of doing something if we already know that we can do it at that point it's just a task it's it's not it's not a goal uh it, you know washing the dishes isn't isn't a goal that's just something you do and so what really drives us what really forces us to improve and what keeps us motivated enough uh to kind of go past our comfort zone and past that area of things we know we can do are goals that are just out of reach, uh, ones that are, are possible but not certain. Obviously, your comfort zone would be a lot broader than the average person's given all the discomfort that you've chosen to do. Then if you were to sign up for a 100-mile race, then surely you should you would know that you could complete that. So does that fall out with the Goldilocks zone? Well, it's, it's not always just about completion. I mean, there are additional goals that that you can set on, on top of that regarding your, your time, 
uh, or your place if it's a race. Um, there are plenty of things that that you can add to that. Uh, it, you know, and and sometimes it is it is fun just to go out and and experience some of these events and and see the area and you know maybe maybe that's not really a goal that's just an experience and and that's fine but you know again the, the things that are really forcing me to learn and, and force me to improve are, are those ones where i have something that i'm reaching for uh where failure is a very real possibility so that being said you've just come back from italy then what do you have planned over the next year or so in terms of races it's a bit difficult to say uh, at this point in in the u.s where we often can't really plan the next year until the outcomes of the Hard Rock and the Western States lotteries, uh, which are in early December. They're kind of the two most in-demand races in the U.S., and uh, a lot of people put in for both of them every year. And then if you're selected in that lottery, if you get into the race, then uh, you, you take that opportunity and you go to them. And if you don't, then you can start figuring out uh, what you want to do instead. So I have a few things I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, but again, what difficult to say. So that being said, John Kelly, I very much look forward to seeing you, your progress over the next year and keeping up to date with you on Instagram and also your blogs. So thank you very much for coming on the show. 